Welcome to the NDIS Property Australia podcast. Before starting this episode, we need to provide a general disclaimer. Information contained in this podcast is general in nature only. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular person. You need to consider your financial situation and needs before making any decisions based on the information in this podcast. And you should consider seeking independent and professional advice for your personal circumstances. All right, let's begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. My name's Erin and I'm here today with Min and Matt. And we're going to be discussing a list of uh, inquiry questions that we got from one of our uh, investors that's been sent to Matt. So, yeah, let's just get straight into it, I suppose. Um, so Matt, Matt, is there a back, background story here on this, on this client? Yeah, so um, this is a client who called in um, with, with obvious an interest in purchasing an NDIS property. Mm-hmm. Um, but based off the original conversation with this client, uh, we went over a number of things and they've sent through some questions that they wanted clarified and they're very in-depth. So we thought we'd use this opportunity um, just to obviously give our answers to these questions uh, just to allow other people to learn a little bit more about investing in NDIS properties. So Matt, is this your way of saying you're lazy, too lazy to actually t- top the answers down and <laughs> put in a podcast instead? <laughs> it's like sending a voice note. <laughs> yeah. All right. Aaron, I'll just start with the questions. Yep. So question number one, my wish for this investment is to have a strongly positive geared investment once participants have been found. With your past clients, how frequently do they achieve this? Do they achieve this even when accounting for mortgage interest payments? Have your past clients been happy with their end result? I think um, most of our clients have all started their construction. So no clients have actually finished anything. We have two clients coming up for a close to completion at the moment, but um, we haven't gone through the whole process yet. Remember, NDS is brand new in Australia, so mm. yep. it's a bit of a journey at the moment. So we can't really comment on, on that. That, that other than we go through the process right now with all our clients, yeah. Yeah. All right, anything to add, Matt? I just say, um, yeah, it's based on their relationship with their provider. That's yeah. kind of where that that relationship is more around the provider and the client mm-hmm. as opposed to the build side of things. Yeah, 100%. All right, question two. With the expenses included in your stock list and feasibilities, does this include expenses paid to the provider while on that subject, what are the fees and charges of the provider? Looking at the stock list, expenses annually seem to be around 20%, and that's before mortgage interest rates. Correct. Before mortgage interest rates, yes. Yep. The provider fees are always different, aren't they, Matt? Yep. But they're around about 10, 11, 12%. So 11, 10, 11, 10, 11 yeah. 12%, but it also depends on the provider that you go with. So we have a recommended provider that we work with. But you can go with a different provider if you so choose to. And, so, and also, Matt, sometimes um, other providers are specialising in a certain area, um, mm. like yep. Sydney and Melbourne and Perth. Uh, and if our, if our main provider can up work there, then we'll recommend someone closer in, locally in the area, yeah. 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 So um, in terms of uh, does the expenses include uh, fees paid mm-hmm. to the provider? Yes, yes, it does. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Yep. Cool. A part of the other expenses also would be um, council rates. Um, there's also been amount, an amount insurance. allocated towards maintenance. Insurance as well. Insurance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's all included in the 
feasibility yeah. in the yeah. expenses. Yeah. 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 Okay, number three, how often does your stock list update? How do you decide which category of house to build on which block? On your stock list, the category of house has already been selected for the block, which I was surprised at. How does that work? Matt? Uh, so I would, um, obviously our stock list updates very frequently, um, whether that's people purchasing or us adding new stock. Uh, we work with a number of builders all around Australia. Well, like once or twice a week is how frequent, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the builders normally specialise in a certain build, like mm. HPS or Robust or IL. So um, the builders normally select that design category on that block there. Yeah. They normally select also uh, the best, the best, I suppose, design for that block, um, given the specifics of the block and what would be most suitable. Um, either from a point of it complying with um, the legislation in regards to it being approved as an NDIS property or in terms of what's what's best to build on the block based on the builder's opinion. I also want to add we're, we are very bullish on improvability as a design in Perth at the moment because we're knowing how much other HPS is being built in the area. So we are avoiding HPS where we can and going towards IL. Mm. With Melbourne, we're very focused on robust homes because, number one, um, the blocks sizes are limited in terms of size to be able to do HPSs. Yeah. So two-thirds IL and one-third HPS. So that comes back to block availability, also yeah. builders' preferences. Yeah. I guess another good example would be um, in terms of like picking a block would be the requirements for just a HPS like the angle of the block? Yeah, so it has Slope, to be a yeah. very flat block. Yeah. Very, very flat. Um, it also has to have 15-metre frontage to build a uh, 12.5 minimum for any SDA, that's, that's for but, IL, but I recommend robust. 15 for yeah. HPS, yeah. 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 So block sizes, yeah, for sure. Okay. Next question. question four. The construction costs on the stock list seem a little expensive. Are these NDIS, NDIS, oh my gosh, NDIS houses a little overcapitalized when compared to similar non-NDIS properties on the open market, or are they comparable? Yes, yes, and yes. So yes, they are a little bit more expensive. Yes, they are over, overcapitalized. Um, are they comparable? Well, yes. And then are they comparable? Well, you know, comparable is in the eyes of the the buyer, I guess. Yep. The, the valuers, financing the valuers, they will decide whether it's worth money, the money it's, it's being paid for, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, and prices are going up all the time because of supply chain and lack of labour shortages, labour shortages, I guess, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it is more expensive. So I reckon you can say that an average HPS house is probably 150 to 200 grand more than normal, the normal mm-hmm. house. Yep. Yep. And a robust house is probably 100 and 150, 100 grand more. Yeah, mm-hmm. normal. So, but we're, we're working everywhere in Australia at the moment, so the price is always fluctuating yeah. everywhere at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, question five Once an NDIS house is fill, filled, tenant, fully tenanted, I think that's meant to say, is it worth more? Does its value increase similar to how industrial rentals work? Yes. Well, yes and no. I would say yes in terms of the value. It has to an investor. Yes, correct. Um, but for, for, the actual, for, for the actual fund, value of the property itself doesn't, doesn't change overnight because yep. there's someone moving in. No, so yeah. so there's value to actually having a house fully tenanted, having rent coming in, but you're not going to you're not going to get a valuation uplift next month because there's three tenants in there. Yep. No, yeah, correct. Yeah. Next. Um, 
Number six, similar to about to the above questions, how do banks form valuations for this ND, for these NDIS houses? Are they compared to similar non-NDIS properties on the open market, or are they valued differently? They're valued differently because the the valuers are using a commercial rent formula, mm. and they normally come in within you know 40, 50, 60 grand variance of the contract price. Yeah. Two years ago, it would have been 200 grand short. But now they're, they're, they are valuing it pretty close to the contract price, if yeah, not on the contract price, yeah. yeah. Next. Right. Um, seven, how quickly do your past clients generally find participants? This is to say how long might the property not be rented or only partially rented for? So all our clients are going through the whole process right now of construction, so we're not there at completion yet. Mm. So the, the goal... Our advice is, and as, as per everyone else's advice with who are in the provider game, begin the process of procurement of participants early in the piece. Don't wait to the very end. Yeah. So start eight, nine months prior to completion. So as soon as your construction then is settled and construction begins, that's when you engage your provider to source participants for you. Um, that's if it's not participant-led. So, But the answer is, I, I think a good, uh, from experience of another provider we've spoken to in the past, they say that if you start a year in advance or you know, 10 months in advance, then hopefully you should have your first tenant in in, in month one, your second one in month two, and your third one in month three. Yep. So, so, so three to five months is the time frame to fill the house after completion, yep. even even with waiting a year in advance. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty wowed by the max yields that could be achieved. However, during our phone call, you mentioned that 60% of the max yield is a good figure to go on. More realistic, right? Would this put many of these NDIS houses into a neutral geared situation rather than positive? Yes. Because, you know, our investors want to see what the maximum yield return is for if it's fully tenanted house. Yeah. But we always make it very clear, do not overassume that all the time. Yeah. Because it's... Yep. In our feasibility, we show a different... Um, we show tenancy mixes mix, yeah. in our feasibility just to break down the possible scenarios uh, that could arise. So in a HBS house, um, if um, if you're in a, you're listening and you, you're not aware of this, you can have FA or IL participants. So that can result in you having a number of participants in the house with different funding amounts, which ultimately gives you a different yield and a different cash flow. Yeah. yeah. So, so more on that, Matt. If you have a large enough house with with large enough breakout room, breakout rooms, but living spaces, mm-hmm. living room, a fresco, and a media room, there's enough space for them to have more tenants in the house. Yeah, it's not congested if it's yeah. a small house. Yeah, yeah. So, so that allows you to have up to three participants. But if you have minimal space, you may have only two participants. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Two out of three is sixty percent of the actual rent there. So that's the first thing there. Second factor is the tenancy mix of IEL and FA and HBS mixed together as a combination. So do not ever assume a maximum rent. Assume 50 or 60%. Even at 60%, Matt, that's still going to be 8 9% yield. Which is great. Which is still above above neutral. Neutral is going to be 4 or 5%, you know? Yep, absolutely. So it's slightly above neutral. I tell people that if they're happy with that amount, um, you know, if they go conservative, as we just mentioned, at say 60%, 50%, 60%, 70%, if they're happy with that amount, then this is a good investment option for them. Yes. Yeah. Um, so next question. Once you get a participant, will the investor generally be paid the SDA base rate on on the table? In the table. Or d- in the table? Yeah. Oh, in the 
Fizo table. Yes. Or do the participants often negotiate a lower rate due to their own budget constraints? Uh, for example, lower SDA funding for the individual participant. No. The rate's not negotiable. It's paid by the government, mm. from the government to the provider to the landlord. Yep. So it's not like that. They don't pay it. Yes, but it doesn't have really yeah. a part in deciating no. to negotiate no. at all. Yeah. No. Yeah, it, it doesn't work like normal rent. No. It's just no. like a set. Government-funded scheme paid by the government, not yeah. anything else, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so question number 10. I notice you've got one house on your stock list that is already built. Just curious, how did that happen without an investor? That's your Inception Bay one, isn't it, Matt? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, sometimes uh, we're approached by people who are interested in selling their NDIS properties. Um, so that's when that's when typically we'll have a property that arrives on our list that's already constructed. So most of our houses are fresh builds, but occasionally we do have the odd property that comes through that's already constructed. Look, the reasons why people resell a brand new, newly built house for NDIS could be a number of reasons. Number one, it didn't work out the way it wanted and they went out. Number mm. two, they believe in a hot market, they can get a higher price to resell, which is That's common. That's totally fair. That's normal yeah. Yeah. everywhere yeah. at the moment. Especially at the moment. Yeah. Number three, a change of personal circumstances. The moment have lost their job or their wife is sick or something in their family. Yeah. That's the third reason. Um, they're, they're the reasons why, yeah. Mm. It's, mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it didn't really happen without an investor. It was just he paid for it to be built and now he's wanting to sell. Yeah, at a higher right. price, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's a retiree, by the way, so... It's fair for him to get, get out at a higher price. Yep. It's quite normal, yeah. Yep. Um, so number 11, when choosing land from stock list, would I get to view the land in person? Also, I would want to know the soil rating since I've had trouble with reactive soil and subsequent erosion in the past. And I would also want land that's not sitting on fill. Is that doable? So it depends on the area, the site. Mm-hmm. Normally, the builders would get information from the land developer with the soil tests, and and they'll work on the the pricing based upon the soil tests. So the builder will also do an actual soil test after land settlement as well. Um, does that really answer the question? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, uh, we'll do our best to provide this all information to this client mm-hmm. on the the land he wants to look at buying. Viewing in person, I guess, so he can he can view it in person if he can, if it's actually there to step on. Yeah. But yeah. if it's not ready yet, entitled yet, he can't really look at anything. If it's, yeah. If it's four months away, five months away from completion, yeah. Yeah. So that's the answer. Mm. Um, so next question, do you perceive any issues getting the house constructed in the near future? The news is saying the building industry is struggling. Uh, delays. There's been plenty of delays the last yeah, six months. For sure. Especially um, releases. If yep. you read the press, you know people could be waiting a year before start construction. Our our evidence with all our buildings across Australia is about fifteen months fifteen months built time frame in total. Yeah, from site site start. Remember, three four years ago it was a four month build time frame. Now it's fifteen months. Yeah. Yep. So also everyone, the war in Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine yeah. Right. That is affecting big time the construction of Australia. There's a veneer timber type of product that comes from, from Russia. I don't even think it's just Australia anymore. I think it's affecting yeah. multiple countries. So I was reading an article on the weekend. Now, Australian house, double-story houses reconstructed mm. require the special hard veneer timber from Russia. Right. Because of the sanctions that happened over in Russia now, nothing going in or out. Yeah. Double-story houses cannot be done efficiently and quickly enough so it's very right. slow conflict timber higher prices yeah. i don't know about alternatives so yeah. so the, the overall war overseas and 
other problems overseas could, yeah. is definitely affecting. Or even just problems in Australia like floods, COVID. Yes. Everything, weather, yes. anything. Labor. Yep. Timber, yep. timber shortage, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, number 12, what house type generally yields the best results? For house type, I was thinking of four-bed house, but you have to leave one room free to get OOA rent, right? Yes, you do. Yep. So one, uh, one essentially room in the house is for the OOA. That's the overnight on-site assistance or the carer, um, the, which type generally yields the best results. That's a bit of a difference. No, no. I want to, I want to break this question. Mm-hmm. Yields the best results. The word yield is different from the best. So by definition, the best results is different from the best yield. Yeah. Which is different from the best cash flow. So I'll give you three answers. If you're after the best yield, you're better off to going with robust design homes. Yeah. If you're after the best cash flow, you're better off going after HPS design homes. Mm -hmm. If you want the best results, probably a improved livability home because it's lower risk, lower bill price. Yeah. And 70% of the market is IL category design um, people, participants. So it's a different answer depending yeah. on what the client wants. So risk profile, budget, cash flow, or yield, it will mm-hmm. give you a different answer. So yeah. it's an open-ended question, I guess. Yeah. In saying that yep. as well, though, like you can build a HPS house and get IL. Yes, yes. Thing, but you're paying more a lot for more, the HPS yes. house. Yes, correct. Yeah. Um, 13, what house category generally gives you the best ROI? For example, I noticed the base rate for FA is about 30% more than IL, but robust is only 15% more than FA. So depending on the cost to build each category, you might get a higher ROI if you build a cheaper house. In this example, that would be FA. Since building a more expensive house like robust doesn't give you a huge amount more rent. Or am I not understanding something when it's quite likely. Okay, so I, I, I would love to answer this complex question. Mm. Um, it seems like the two paths, of the four paths in front of every investor, IL, FA, robust, HPS, yeah. the two paths that people are taking is either robust or HPS. Yeah. The reason being is HPS and FA is almost identical. Mm. Apart from a solar panel and the battery backup of the house, which is 30 grand only difference, mm. Mm. You might as well go HPS if you get, if you're down that path there. Yeah, yep. it's almost the same price. So it becomes either IL or HPS. On no, 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 no. That's that's the HPS FA HPS almost identical price. Yeah, robust and IL almost identical as well because the design for layout is almost identical other than the um the thicker walls the the high impact walls. Yeah. So for an extra 30, forty grand, fifty grand more, you might as well go robust. Mm. Yep. Mm. Because the robust house. Brings into account the following tenants, robust tenants, IL tenants, or a normal family. Yep. Okay? Yep, exactly. With the HPS house, design house, the three tenants are HPS and or FA and or IL. Yeah. So they're the two paths there of the four. Yep. So for the extra 30, 40 grand difference in price for these two, you might as well go the extra. Yeah, because it opens up your options so exactly. much more. So yeah. to answer the question... Best return on investment. So is it about diversification and lowering risk or is it about ROI? Mm. So go back to my last answer. Robust and, and IL is still pretty good. Yep. It depends on the price, the cost price to build it. Yeah. So does that answer the question, Aaron? Yep. Um, yeah, 
Probably, so, but just... Yeah, it is more expensive. It'll, yeah. Yeah. It comes back to budget. What can you afford to buy and, and what's the reason why you're doing this? Because if you're going to, you know, if, if, you want, if you want to have lower risk by not having a vacant house, then don't go to HPS. Yeah, yep. I think the question yep. is that it's more expensive to build a robust or a HPS house, which yeah. doesn't give you, you know, a really insane amount more rent, but it's lower risk because you can get yep. more types of tenants. Yep. yep. So we have one builder in Melbourne who will do the hybrid house, which is all four categories in one house. Mm. They're very rare, but they can be done. Mm. Yep. For an extra thirty grand more above the HPS, mm. so different areas, locations around Australia will have different location factors, which adjust the income, yeah, and different build costs. So there's all these different varying factors which come to play in our recommendations to our investors, mm. and because we're active out there in the marketplace, everywhere we're, we're able to understand what the prices are and the and the volume of of yeah. build pipelines coming out. Yeah, yeah, mm. and then number fourteen. This is the last question. Um, of course, it would be amazing to nab a couple of HPS participants, but how likely does this actually happen? I remember you saying only 10% of the market makes up these and a whopping 70% of the market makes up IL. Matt? Um, I would say, I mean, it's certainly possible, but uh, I feel like a, a, there's a lot of, um, I suppose, misconceptions in the market Um Particularly from from other companies, which uh, you know indicate that you get you're going to get in a four bedroom house, you're going to get three HPS participants, which mm. I think is unrealistic, um, and we think is unrealistic. So, I think uh, you know you might you might get one or two, but uh, just just being aware of the fact that you probably won't get get three, or you probably won't get all your participants being in, in that HPS category. Yeah. In an up, up, upcoming episode, the next few weeks, we're, we're going to do a um, podcast about research analysis, what software, what data, what research material we use yeah. to help guide people. Now, to answer this question really comes back to a couple of things. Location, builders, what's being built in the market or in that area already, mm-hmm. uh, this, the, the total participants in the NDS in that, area, in that region, right? How many are already funded and and are not funded. Like there's all these factors which are still being yep. sorted out in the Absolutely. background. Yeah. Um, if you're able to find a provider with two or three participants who are already HFA HBS already funded. Yeah. Brilliant. That's almost like a guarantee. Yeah. Hmm. But even still, by the time it's built in a year's time, there's no guarantee they'll still be there. Hmm. Yep. So you find them, but they could be gone in hmm. six months. So. It is a roll of a dice at some, sometimes because you can't – how do you ensure that they're going to be there and moving to your house? You, you can't yeah. be sure at all. And also going forward um, after you've already had the house, you know, going into the future and retaining them. They can leave after 90 days. So as, as, even though you sign up a, a, a one- or two-year lease, they have the right to terminate in 90 days and move out. What do you do then? So that's why our approach to our, our, our advice and our guidance to investors is – um, lower your expectations, assume a diversified tenancy mix of yep. IL, FA, and HPS. Mm-hmm. Do not assume the maximum rental yield or and gross return. And um, be aware of potential vacancy at the start or at somewhere in the future. Yeah. When there's more stock coming on, online in the area. Yeah. So future to future-proof your house, your property for SDA, you need to make it more different because like every other tenant in the world out there, they 
move it around to different places if they see a better better product out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and we have spoken about like future proofing before. Yeah. In other episodes, especially the one with uh, Kim Johnston. Yes, yes. Yeah, that one's a really good one to go off in terms yes, of absolutely. knowing how to future proof. Yeah. But that is um, all the questions from your client, Matt. We've done well to wing that. All those answers out. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's great to have that have, mm-hmm. have this session today because we're just able to answer in one session all these questions from someone else. Yep. Yeah. And it shows our listeners that these are the kind of questions that are being asked. And hopefully that helps out some people out there who might have these questions as well. Mm. Yeah, because we could have just, you know, you could have just responded to the email with the questions and answers. But mm. speaking mm. about it on a podcast really helps other people who yeah, might have absolutely. the same questions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that about covers it. Yep. Matt, any more bits of advice following on from this person's questions to you? Um, uh, I mean, I, I think I feel like I say it every time, but just do your, do your research um, and just try to learn as much as you can um, because it is a very complex subject. So mm-hmm. um, obviously asking all these questions and, um, you know, tr- being being open to different answers and learning more about the industry and uh, SDA pro- properties, that's – it's so important. Yeah. yeah. My, my, my last bit, bit of advice is whatever you think you're hoping to achieve, have it. Mm. Which is close to what you said, sixty percent, right? Yep. And if you're okay with fifty percent of the number, you're okay with that number, yep. and that covers your costs and your mortgage payments, then go ahead. Because only time will allow the other participants to drift in to move into the house, yeah, and get the participants you want, yeah. So don't expect everything in the first day at completion. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it takes time. Yeah, because participants want to touch and feel the house. Before they move in, yeah. So you can't yeah. expect people to three people to sign up on a, on a house that has not been built yet. It's just it's it's unreasonable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Cool. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure that you are subscribed and following us so that you can keep in the loop with all of our upcoming episodes. We would really appreciate it if you could leave us a five star rating, a written review and to share this episode with those that can benefit. Until next time, catch you on the next episode.